Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And back with me is friend of the show and Houston Cougars insider, Sam Raz, who co-hosts the Scott Holman podcast. Always great to have you, Sam. And how many years is it for you guys now? How many years you guys been doing the show? Uh, this is season nine for us. Uh, so this coming one next August when we start uh, kicking off to preview the football season, the fall sports will be season 10, which is kind of wild to think about it. Uh, we certainly timed it well. We didn't have any kind of, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Premonitions that Tom Herman is going to have a great 2015 season. Kind of get, got off to a good start, I think. Got uh, talking about Cougar basketball, right? When Kelvin Sampson's getting that going. So yeah, it's been it's been a great nine seasons. And uh, yeah, in, in a great period of uh, Houston Cougar sports. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I started my show about 10 years ago and it just feels like a lot of good stuff has happened, especially with the Cougars and the Astros. Really has, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's been good. Um, how did it feel to spank the Longhorns in what's probably the last time the Cougs faced them for decades, barring any NCAA tournament matchups? Really wonderful. Uh, and, and to be fair, that team, I think, for once that season actually like competed. But for as painful as the the football game ended uh, back in October to have two wins uh, over that program, including Saturday, where it never really looked like the Longhorns were competitive, is, is just about the sweetest thing you could, uh, I think, draw up as a Cougar fan for this kind of one-season overlap that we have uh, of the Horns and Cougs being in the Big 12 Conference. It was it was fantastic. I figured the Cougs would win that one. The Cougs were rightfully pretty decent-sized favorites going into Saturday, but I don't think I'd let myself believe it would be as much of a butt-kicking as actually played out early afternoon on Saturday. Yeah, that was fun. The atmosphere looked incredible. And then they get revenge for that frustrating Iowa State loss Monday in a Big 10 matchup, a Big Top 10 matchup, I should say. Are you seeing any differences offensively compared to where the Cougars were a month or two ago? Is there... Any less dependence on, for example, LJ Cryer shooting right now than there has been? I guess if you want to look at the uh, the most recent Iowa State game on Monday night, LJ Cryer, I think, contributed probably in other ways. But I mean, LJ Cryer just did not have a good game shooting the basketball uh, on Monday night. Also missed a decent amount of the second half dealing with uh, some kind of foul trouble. So it was good to see that you could have even an LJ Cryer having an off night, which he definitely did not on Saturday. I think the offense very much uh, was helped by LJ Cryer on Saturday, but didn't really shoot the ball well, and yet you still can have Jamal Shedd and Emmanuel Sharp do what they did in that one. Emmanuel Sharp in particular, I mean, obviously, Jamal Shedd has an incredible, incredible last two games, incredible season, really, but I wanted to note Emmanuel Sharp because really since the last Iowa State loss up in uh, Ames, where Sharp was actually, I think, a really exceptional player, I think really almost single-handedly kept you in that one at times, hasn't been the best month and some change since then for him, but I think since that long run game, you started to see him get comfortable in his role and, and I think show himself to be a high-level scorer alongside Jamal Shedd and LJ Cryer to make, I think, just a really, really difficult backcourt to deal with if you're a team trying to solve the Houston Cougars offensively and defensively. I, I think that that trio is, I think, kind of the tip of the spear of why this is the, the current number one defense in the country by any metric, but also I think three skilled scorers and Monday night against Iowa State proved that even against a top 10 opponent, a top 10 opponent who's a, an exceptional team defensively, that LJ Cryer could still have an off night, you can still be a top 10 team. That's a it's a really scary proposition. This isn't uh, just Jamal Shedd or LJ Cryer or Emmanuel Sharp. This is a balanced scoring team. This is a team that can rely on multiple different guys to, uh, to I think, make things happen offensively. The hope for the Big 12 Conference was that this would make the Cougars stronger and tougher in March. And after watching all of this unfold in the last couple of months, are you a believer in that? Yeah, I mean, a single elimination tournament like March Madness is always going to be volatile. You're, you know, you're a bad half or even a bad 10 minutes of a half away from your season ending. But I think you've seen this team, especially in some road environments. You know, Cincinnati is not a team firmly on the right side of the bubble right now, but Fifth Third Arena is a hard place to go into and win. Go back a little further, the Marriott Center, uh, where BYU plays their home is BYU definitely a team on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble, a team that I think will have a, a pretty low single-digit number next to their name when it's all said and done in mid-March. The Cougs went there and got a win as well. I think you've seen it 
since that two-game losing streak to Iowa State and TCU to start Big 12 play, you see a more focused team. You've seen a team not just capable of being a high-level defensive team, but a, a team, as much as they have their droughts offensively, I really bristle when any when I ever see anyone say that, oh, well, this team isn't good offensively. No, this team is playing almost nothing but really good defensive teams. You're you're really, other than maybe Oklahoma State and West Virginia, night in, night out in the Big 12, you're not going to face an opponent that isn't going to be one of the best 40, 50, or even better than that teams in the country defensively. You are constantly getting tested there. And I don't know if this is, in terms of this team's offensive ceiling team on the level of the Final Four team, but I would say this is also a significantly better defensive team as well, which I think makes this team really suited to make a deep run in March. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, get into the big picture a little bit, but just, you know, small picture. Well, this big picture also, I guess, but who's the biggest surprise of all the players this season, or what's the biggest surprise, I guess, for you with this team? I would say Malik Wilson. Uh, I, I remember actually during the offseason, Malik, we, we would uh, we periodically on our, uh, our social media accounts do something we call the, the scholarship grid, where you kind of it's a four year look at who's going to be on scholarship with the Houston Cougar men's basketball program. You know, assuming graduation, usual four year eligibility clocks, what have you. Though COVID's obviously made that a, a bit more of a difficult thing to uh, to deal with in the aftermath of that. And Malik Wilson, really, when we looked at the roster for this season, kind of seemed like the odd man out. You know, he registered last year. It sounded like he wasn't healthy and it just kind of seemed like this team was just so stacked with experience and talented guards it's like all right well, where's Malik Wilson gonna fit in here like where are the minutes gonna come for Malik Wilson and now in the last month or so if you told me uh, you know like let's just say god god forbid knock on wood all that stuff tomorrow Malik Wilson goes down with you know some kind of season-ending injury I, I'd be a lot less bullish because he gives you this toughness off the bench he gives you I wouldn't say super high level offensive skill but a guy who can get a tough bucket when you need it, a guy who can get a stop or a tough rebound when you need it, can spell guys like Cryer, Shed, and Sharp, who, like, I think any guard are more effective when they're not having to play something close to 40 minutes. Obviously, your rotations get tighter come, you know, the really important games. You'll see, especially in road games, Samson, I think, goes with a bit tighter of a bench than he does in home games. And I think that kind of holds, you know, same principle for uh, March Madness games. But I think Malik Wilson has really played and practiced his way into being a critical bench piece. And he is probably, if you had made me go player by player before the season, Blake Wilson might have been the last guy or last two or three guys that I talked about. And uh, I would go so far as to say is him or Jojo Tugler are your most important bench guys right now. And that's not something I expected to say like back in early November. Boy, it feels like uh, Jamal Shedd has moved his way into the pantheon of great Cougars of all time. And, you know, you, you, you're almost like, what are they going to do without Jamal Shedd next year? I mean, it's, it just seems like they're so dependent on his leadership and his ability to get a bucket when you need him late in the games or to make a play or whatever. Um, just tell me a little bit about, you know, how you feel about Jamal Shedd and, and what he's turned into. With Zuma a bit too, it's just an embarrassment of riches that myself and Cougar fans have had since like 2015. You go back to Galen Robinson Jr. and his his four years in the program, as I would say, as important as any player from that era of Kelvin Sampson, U of H basketball, to building that program into being a good NCAA tournament kind of team go for him to Dejan Giroux the point guard point guard and defensive focal point of this team's one final four team post five slam ajama to Jamal Shedd this guy who like you said is this unbelievable leader the guy who I think as much as I think all three of the guards are kind of tone setters defensively nobody is more of a tone setter nobody's getting the tougher assignments more than Jamal Shedd out there that if you have an opponent who has a good maybe high scoring point guard Jamal Shedd's gonna get that assignment and chances are Jamal Shedd's gonna make that guy have one of his worst games of the season. See Tammy Lipsy from Iowa State this last game. See before that Tyrese Hunter of uh, of the Longhorns. And I think you could probably name a number of guys this year that's held true for it. a guy who not just accepts those difficult assignments, not just accepts the leadership role, but clearly relishes it, clearly feeds off that and you know the role that Samson gives him on the team. I, I think one of the uh, I, I 
want to say it was the uh, the TV crew that was doing the Monday night game against Iowa State referenced Samson making some joke about I can go on vacation for a week and I know Jamal Shedd's going to go out there and run practice the standards uh, that I expect. And it's really incredible. Not that Jamal Shedd was a nothing high school recruit, but Jamal Shedd wasn't a, a major recruit. Jamal Shedd played, I guess, depending on Austin traffic, 10 or 15 minutes from uh, from the old Irwin Center and was not recruited by the Burnt Orange program there. It's, I think it's made that especially rich that Jamal Shedd had just two monster games against uh, his former uh, former town's uh, big local college there. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough to imagine Houston Cougar basketball without Jamal Shedd. I think he could theoretically have a fifth season, but I think he's definitely he's definitely played himself into being able to play professional basketball at some level next year. What level? I'm not exactly sure. Not an expert on that, but I, I think he's done enough that this is his last college season. And I will say also, like when when Galen Robinson graduated, when Dejan Giroux graduated, like the, those were guys we also went back and said, like, hey, like this guy's a really, really, really good player. Like, how are we going to replace this guy? So much as I don't want to make it seem like it's plug and play to replace somebody as good as Jamal Shedd, I, I think it's also it's been pretty incredible how the staff has been able to um, to, to fill in for some really exceptional players that have come to this, this program. I could I could probably spend the rest of our time just listing off the various really good players that have graduated and that the program hasn't skipped a beat over the last seven or eight seasons. So it's twofold there. Like I'm going to miss Jamal Shedd an incredible amount. It's I, I don't want to think about a Houston Cougar basketball future that doesn't have Jamal Shedd, even though I know it's going to factually happen. So yeah, obviously tough to replace, but going to enjoy the rest of the season and still trust that the staff can, uh, can still put a really good team out there. Yeah. Speaking of Cougar guards that are playing right now professionally, have you got a Pistons league pass uh, deal yet? Or are you watching a lot of Pistons games these days? I, I do. As I say, I do have uh, may or may not have a, a friend's league pass login that I'm, uh, I'm waiting for to get one. Cause I have text alerts for Quentin Grimes. I'm waiting to get the Grimes is cleared to play tonight. Not that I haven't checked in on Marcus Sasser and he's at, I think on a really uh, struggling team, I, I think he's, uh, he's done some really nice stuff. I actually, uh, we were talking a little before this. I live out in Las Vegas. And I went and saw uh, I went and saw Sasser and the Pistons uh, play out here at Summer League at UNLV, and he uh, did, did the Marcus Sasser things I expected. And I think even in a team that's having a really tough season, I think has has shown himself someone who's capable of sticking around at the professional level for a while. Yeah, his shooting numbers already really extraordinary for the Pistons uh, for a rookie. Uh, let's get to the big picture now. You started to talk a little bit about this. They're locked into the number one seed. The talent level does not seem quite the same at the top of college basketball, I'm going to say. Is this the Kooks' best opportunity to win the tournament since Samson's arrival? I mean, much as UConn really, really did poorly last night against Creighton, and the Big East is, and I don't think this gets enough attention, the Big East top to bottom is not the Big East bold. Now, obviously, UConn and Marquette and Creighton at the top are very good teams. I'm not impugning those programs specifically, but there's no Big East of old here that was getting eight or nine or ten teams in the field. The Big East is like a four or five bit league. That said, UConn in a non-true road environment, I feel like it's still a very tough proposition. And I feel like a team that really looked unbeatable in the tournament last year, and I think in a lot of quantifiable ways got better. So that you know that team seems like a hard, hard one for me to confidently tell you that, oh yeah, I think UH is going to beat them. But I do think, given the high level this team defends at, given the fact that you know, this team, even, even when it was getting only four or five generously good test here in the American still always proved itself to be you know a team capable of making at least a second weekend run. And I think that the fact that this team has basically night in night out in this league, been more nights than not playing a postseason or very close to a postseason caliber team. I think that can only help. I think this is the Cougars best chance to be playing in the final weekend. I think, the, I think if this Cougar team makes it to the final weekend of the tournament, the final four, I think they'll have a better chance than three years ago where it was just like, well, cool, we made it, but you're about to run into a Baylor team. That's one of the best ever offensive teams in the sports history. Whereas now I think if this team goes to the final four, especially if UConn somehow 
steps on a banana peel before the final weekend. I think because have a good chance of winning it, but I will say I, I do think the favorite still needs to be the defending champs, just given what they've shown us through 20-something games this season. Much as I hate to take off my Cougar red glasses and admit that, Robert, I, I think I think they have to be the favorite, but I think I think the Cougs should be in the uh, in the conversation uh, with the Huskies. Yeah, there just doesn't seem the way I see it to be this team that's got five NBA first-round picks, like you know one of those old Duke teams that you would run into, or you know I know UConn's got a couple of guys, but it's 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 not the depth at the with the talent at the top just doesn't seem to be the same. No, I agree. Uh, switching gears to football, um, what's your impression of what Willie Fritz has done so far? And maybe start with the recruiting aspect and where they're at right now. Most transition classes, which are defining as the first class, like when a coach arrives, not a class generally that the coach has more than a few weeks to a couple of months to really do anything about, usually isn't the best indicator. And yet Fritz inherited a class that was worse, worse than 30-something group of five classes, was outside the national top 100, less than 10 commits really only one or two guys within shouting distance even being rated as four stars. And the previous head coach going on his coach's show to say, yeah, you know, 2024 recruiting, the ship has sailed on that and all that stuff. <laughs> to go from that to Fritz bringing in two four stars that were not previously Tulane commits. I mean, good chance those guys were on their recruiting board at Tulane, but, and he brought in some of his Tulane commits, but I mean, brought in a couple of guys who were consensus four stars, just Filled in, filled in the class with the kind of profile of recruit that has generally done well at U of H, high three-star guys, the decent offer list, but maybe not uh, the creme de la creme of recruits. And just the positivity surrounding it, I think that was really, really the noticeable thing that this staff with, I think about the worst situation you can draw up, just new staff, probably like not even the full complement of assistance, even working towards recruiting guys, still probably negotiating their deals with the school, were still able to drastically improve this recruiting class like in the most not ideal circumstances, I think. And, you know, it gets a little squirrely with composites first, you know, the transfers and stuff. Like they did good stuff though in the portal. I think stuff that'll make the 2024 team better. Uh, I thought they attacked positions in need, but I, I think what really encouraged me most in the big picture was the high school recruiting. It was like night and day from the Holgerson staff in terms of they had a clear plan. They had high school guys who were bought into what they were doing. And it wasn't just simply, oh, they had a pretty decent class at Tulane. And he just imported all of their best players. I think recruiting apparatus at U of H even in non-ideal circumstances, I'm saying for the umpteenth time, brought in a much better class. Like, I, I think that's that's going to be the really encouraging thing. Now, one good class isn't going to, I think, really have a demonstrable effect on the football product outside, you know, probably filling a few immediate holes with some of the transfers you brought in. And I think Fritz brought in some of his more promising young guys from the Tulane program. But I think it just shows Cougar fans that there's a clear plan here. And this is a, a more serious staff and head coach overseeing that staff than the one that was here. I think it was a positive sign for this coming cycle when the staff will have now the usual amount of time, everybody you know, doing the usual junior and senior recruiting days and what have you. There's just a more obvious plan than was ever in place in the five years prior to Willie Fritz taking this job. Who's a player or two that you think people are going to be talking about in a few months with Cougar football? I mean, maybe somebody that we haven't already seen last year. You know, this is, and I think he would have been somebody who would have seen the field last year along with someone who I think is probably Probably not a uh, overlooked name, Parker Jenkins, who I think was one of the bright spots offensively last year. Another freshman who came in the same class as Parker Jenkins, uh, Rashawn Sanford, was somebody. I know his uh, old position coach, Mike Jinks, was really high on him, had just was uh, originally from Central Texas, posted, even by the standards of Division I prospects, some of the most absurd high school numbers you will see in the staff. I know the last one was really bummed that he wasn't able to get on the field. Uh, so I would say Rashawn Sanford is one uh, on that side of the ball. Uh, Kobe Young, uh, one of the recruits that the last staff brought in really intriguing guy 
high three-star, four-star receiver. I have New Orleans, previously a Georgia Tech commitment. The first staff got him on the uh, the early signing day back in December. Uh, he's one I'm really excited about. And I, I think the, the last offensive name, uh, Zion Chris, uh, who was kind of the quarterback of the future at uh, University of Louisiana Lafayette, uh, really exciting dual threat guy. I think really for the first time since maybe even before we had a podcast, Robert, like there might be an actual quarterback battle in the spring. And the staff has said the right things about Donovan Smith, the incumbent quarterback. And, um, and I think Donovan Smith's earned every right to potentially be the starter again in 2024. But Zeon Chris like st- started last year and would have started the majority of the season had he not broken his foot in early November and was a really electric guy, both as a passer and a runner for the Raging Cajuns last year. We'd be taking a step up if he was to win the job, but it's just nice to know going into spring ball that there's actually a quarterback there that Donovan Smith will have to contend with. That as much as I like Donovan Smith, I think, and I know with the portal, it's harder to bring in multiple quarterbacks and, you know, have those guys be happy being the backup for any amount of time. But I like the idea in the spring of the incumbent quarterback being pushed. And I think that's what Zeon Chris, who the new staff has brought in, is going to allow them to do to have a guy who I think what Willie Fritz generally wants to do offensively is, you know, is have a, a quarterback who can run, which I think fits Smith too. But I would say Chris long-term is more of an explosive playmaker there. While I think showing off an ability to stretch the field with his arm some with the Raging Cajuns as first year as a starter as a redshirt freshman last year. And one of the guys that staff brought in on the defensive side of the ball from Tulane, Corey Platt Jr., a really exciting player. I think, honestly, if he hadn't busted his Achilles in week one against South Alabama, I think there's a decent chance that Corey Platt would be playing for an SEC program right now. Like, I think he would have had that kind of season for Tulane. Probably would have priced you of edge out, if, uh, if we're being quite honest. But coming off injury, maybe not so much. But had, I think, 14 tackles in less than three quarters in Tulane's opener before having that season-ending injury. is going to be playing under the same defensive coordinator that he played uh, – with uh, Etulane Shalwood, who uh, has a great track record uh, prior to coming with the Cougars. So I think he's the one I'm most excited about on the defensive side of the ball. And, and frankly, that was just something of the many flaws of the Cougar defense last year. There really just wasn't a linebacker that really did much to stand out. And it's going to be a, a different look. D. It's going to be a 3-4 look as opposed to the kind of 4-2-5 and occasional 3-3-5 stack looks that Doug Bell did last year. So I think it's going to be a line. You're going to see a lot more of the linebackers in this defense. And I think uh, providing he's healthy, I think Corey Platt Jr. is going to be uh, going to be that guy for the Cougar defense this year. Yeah, you mentioned Doug Belk, and I know you guys have talked on the show, and he kind of like everybody was all excited about him for a long time, and then it, it just kind of dropped off the last couple of years, Belk, right? Yeah. Um, let me ask you about the staff altogether that Fritz has put, the, put together. Like, what what do you think of uh, what he's done with the staff? Really like it. It's a really credible Big 12 staff. I mean, brought some guys with him from Tulane, uh, his receivers coach, uh, Derek Sherman. I mentioned a moment ago his defensive coordinator, Shaw Wood, who was his defensive coordinator at Tulane this past season and was super successful in a bunch of group of five stops. Before that, uh, actually brought in a uh, former, a couple of familiar faces from uh, previous eras of Cougar football. Zach Etheridge, a promising assistant coach who was uh, the cornerbacks coach here, moved on to his alma mater Auburn for the last few seasons, and uh, is back now with the Cougs, uh, coaching the DBs along with Oscar Giles, who was actually a late addition, uh, but was on Herman's uh, staff for the two years he was here, and then was at the University of Texas and was most recently at Wyoming. He was a really good defensive line coach here previously, and considering the Cougs had to replace forward defensive line coach Brian Early, who's now in the same position as Mizzou, I think, considering he had to make the hire in February, just a, just a home run. Uh, Jordy Joseph, a young guy who was a really good Louisiana recruiter at Southern Miss, Sean Bell, a uh, longtime Baylor assistant, former Baylor quarterback, uh, who's a super connected to the Texas high school scene kind of guy. I mean, uh, the Athletic uh, and Sam Khan just did a piece, actually. It was with Houston areas. It's They do kind of a recruiting anonymous thing where uh, high school coaches can kind of just, you know, give their opinion on, you know, hey, I see a lot of this assistant, I like this head coach, et cetera, et cetera. And there were several different times where were just like, yeah, we've seen a lot more of the new Houston staff. Oh yeah. Like Willie Fritz came here and talked to me for two hours and Sean Bell's name came up there. I think about as much as any Texas assistant in that thing. So even though the last staff did 
did have some genuine Texas bona fides. It just seems like already, even a short amount of time, this staff has a better rapport with the Texas high school football scene. And that's just, you have, you live and die by that, especially with your program like U of H who you can't rely on the four and five stars. You have to find maybe the overlooked guys and develop them into all big 12 guys and having good relationships there, I think is just of the utmost importance. And I think from Willie Fritz on down, the staff's equipped to do that. And I think, um, yeah, that's, I think what uh, really encouraged me uh, about this initial staff that Fritz has assembled here. Yeah. Just a quick aside. Also, uh, when I was covering the Texans a lot, I got to spend a lot of time and really be around Laney Fritz, Willie's daughter, and just uh, want to congratulate her because just in the last few days I saw through social media that she got engaged. And so nice. very excited about her and she's a really nice person. Um, and I know she's really, really close with her dad. So I'm sure she's super excited that he's back here in Houston and she got out of the media business, became a teacher. So um, it's a, it's a big deal. I'm sure the family is uh, back together a little bit with uh, his coaching. And, you know, one of the things that I saw recently on social media was that the, all the work that they've done on the football stadium, uh, Sam, what were your impressions of what you've seen so far? Much as I'm loath to give the former coach any credit, I think quite often kind of point out, we need this facility. We need to have a dedicated football facility like the one that's being built. And I think it was good to see in November shovels in the ground. And now to see kind of the daily and weekly progress of the place, I think it's not going to turn U of H into one of the Titans, of the sport overnight, but it is really going to put U of H on more of a level playing field with the teams that have been in the power five or power four, or whatever you want to call it now for the last 20, 30 years, because as greatest move to the big 12 was, U of H is playing catch up in terms of, you know, not having 20 or 30 years of big 12 money behind the program and not having the money to do the facilities. I mean, I think kudos to Dr. Couture on down to the school, I think spending what it could spend to really, you know, show ultimately the big 12 that this is a program worthy of a step up a weight class, but you're still in a lot of areas playing from behind. And I think the new MD Anderson facility connected to TDCU will really, I think, close a lot of those gaps. Won't close all the gaps, but I think it'll allow, allow U of H to be a much more serious football program and to show recruits the kinds of things that they've never been able to see from UH before. Kind of the equivalent of what I think the Guy V. Lewis facility and the Vertia Center have done for men's basketball, though the scale of football is obviously a bit different and, you know, you got to have, have something a bit larger. And I think this is going to really fulfill uh, a lot of what that program is needed. Yeah. Just I, I, something to get the atmosphere close to what you got at the Fertitta center, because, you know, the only time that I really felt like, Oh, you started to see it a little bit was that long Longhorns game this year. Um, I mean, that's really what I want to see, Sam. I'm just like, you know, they, they got to the big 12 now, now, now we need to get the city and, you know, the campus as, as into it as the Fertitta. And I know it's, you know, a lot more seats to fill, but still it, that's what you want to see. Yeah. And that was a lot, a lot of the comments I heard. It was just like, Oh, you're in the big 12. Like, why, you know, why is this place not filled to the brim? And it's just like, go look at the la- most of the last four years of this program's results. And, you know, I think you have 90% of your answer to that question, but the school paid a lot of money to make a change there. The school you know, has done a lot of fundraising to make the MD Anderson facility happen. So I think now, now the onus is a little bit more in the fans. Okay. You didn't like Dana Holgerson. Fine. Mostly agree with you. Now he's gone. You, know, you thought the facilities should be better. Fine. U of H is doing something about that. So now I think it, the onus is on the U of H alumni and fan base and, to extend the city of Houston at large to, I think, support this program, because I think a lot of the re- the reasons for, I think, being hesitant to support it have been, I think, removed in the last few months. It's just been a, a real privilege and a pleasure to not just to get back into the Big 12, but, you know, watching the basketball games and you got teams every single week that you're playing every couple of days. It seems like you're like, oh, there's another one coming that, you know, it's a big time school and a big time program. And, you know, the Cougs, have, you know, they're, they're going to have to do something to win this game. But 
the thing that you know, every time Sam, when they win a game, it's like everybody else is going to know that this is a big deal. It's not, it's not like, you know, you're beating the little sisters of the poor anymore when you're in conference. Exactly. I, I'm certainly someone who's been, you know, support the Cougs, go for the Cougs, not for the team the Cougs are playing. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's only, only human here to say, say that like it's, it means a lot more when you're doing against the little competition that, for example, Cougar Mids basketball has been doing uh, this current season. All right. Well, what's the latest uh, with uh, Scott Holman and and just uh, kind of um, anything new c- going on with you guys? I know you're pumping out, you know, at least one show every single week, if not more. Yeah. So we're s- still doing weekly talking all things uh, Houston Cougars. If it's in season and the Cougs are playing on, the, on a sporting field, we are talking about it. Uh, we are on every podcasting uh, platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, Scott Holman podcast, PAWD cast. Uh, we're going to be actually doing every game for the Big 12 tournament and NCAA tournament. We're going to be actually doing a uh, premium like post-game reacts to every single uh, Big 12 tournament, NCAA tournament game, in addition to uh, our regular uh, podcast-free content as well over on our Patreon. Uh, we did that during during football season where I got to people got to hear me uh, mostly sadly react uh, to our 12 games. That season, I think uh, I think basketball might be uh, a little bit more of a happy vibe there. So we are the Scott and Holland podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and talking to everything Houston Cougars, including but not limited to uh, the awesome men's basketball team. And if you want to follow him, of course, it's S- at SH, SH podcast. podcast on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. On the little, uh, little crawl yeah. as well. If you're on YouTube, you're seeing it. But just in case, if you're listening on audio um, and it'll be, I'll put that in the description as well. But always good to catch up with you, Sam. Thanks so much for doing this and go Cougs. Absolutely. Great talking to you, Robert. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.